Hi, Vicky. Hi, Shane. What's the biggest decision you've made based on chance? Well, what do you mean by chance? I guess, it, yeah, I guess it's kind of an oxymoron. Like you wouldn't make a big decision. You wouldn't make a decision if it was just chance. I guess mm-hmm. um, like a, a decision that was either it was uh, out of your control or there was a fork in the road and mm. you just like decided to go one way because that was the opportunity presented to you, but it could have been, you know yeah. what I mean? Like something like that. Yeah, I basically, I live my whole life that way, actually. <laughs> I think I feel that's, like I've mentioned this. That's before. terrifying to me. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm so like. Don't be terrified. No, no, no. Go ahead. What you're saying? No, I just take. Like I feel like that's how I ended up. I feel like I've mentioned this before. That's how I ended up going to science camp and meeting Brian. That's how I found my college. Was just like I got a brochure in the mail, and I was like, okay, that'll work. <laughs> so I like applied to only one college. Like that's kind of how I got. Like, is that how you ended up at AGU? I guess. I mean, how do you end up at any <laughs> job, really? Totally fair. Right? I mean, I guess you're throwing a bunch of things out there and whatever comes along, comes along. Yeah. Like it was in my, in my, uh, wheelhouse, but you know, yeah. but, um, yeah. So I feel like that's just a good, it's just a nice, easygoing way to be. How about you? Oh my goodness. I am not an easygoing person. I think I'm better than I used to be. <laughs> no, I guess what would have, what started this all I, in my pursuit of being more easygoing about any sort of decision, maybe or not, was I I have my PhD and towards the end of grad school, I was looking to go either into academia, do the traditional yeah. professor, teach research, whatever route, or I was really interested in the science policy world. This was before communication was even in my even a thought that I had. Yeah. And so I literally like applied to things in both sections. And I got like one day, I remember I was at lunch with my lab. And I got this email and said, you've been selected as a whatever year Sea Grant Canal fellowship finalist or whatever. And it's it's essentially this policy postdoc that brought me from Tennessee to D.C. to work in science policy. And like that was that was the thing that I got. And that's because it came first. I thought, yep, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So I that's literally a pretty major change in my trajectory yeah. was because I got this email before I potentially got offered any other sort of position in the more traditional academic research field. Yeah, that's and that's the best. Look at you now. I mean, I, look at me now. I'm podcasting <laughs> with you sitting in my basement. It's great. <laughs> All because of that email. Oh, thanks, Chance. Science is fascinating. But don't just take my word for it. Join us as we hear stories from scientists for everyone. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Vicki Thompson. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. So some things work out perfectly as planned, and then sometimes the plans are made for us. And so today we're hearing from producer Sarah Whitlock about Amaha Maluna's career and all the ways he made the best of circumstances that were dealt to him by chance. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Shane. Yeah, Amaha worked really, really hard to make a career in the face of a lot of obstacles. In fact, he might have actually been an engineer instead of a geologist if he'd had his way. But he did become a geologist, right? Yeah, he did. An award-winning one, actually. In 2020, Amaha was given AGU's Africa Award for Research Excellence in Earth Science. Uh, He's made vital contributions to our understanding of continental rifting in Africa, which is basically how the Earth's crust thins and eventually breaks apart. 
And to remind folks, this is part of our current mini-series where we talk to scientists who have written for AGU's science storytelling journal, Perspectives of Earth and Space Scientists. Great. So let's hear about how he got from engineering to studying the African crust. I am Amaha, Amaha Muluna. I am an associate professor at Addis Ababa University in Ethiopia. And I also have a position here in Germany at German Research Center for Geosciences. And can we start by giving us a little bit of background about how you fell in love with science originally? So I fell in love with science. I remember it when I was ninth grade. There was a class assignment and I got all the questions right and the professor patted me on the shoulder. And uh, that was uh, an exciting moment for me because I d- we didn't expect anything from that professor. He's a very serious guy. So before that, I, I had no inclination to science. I want to do the assignments. I want to attend all the classes. But I was not uh, particularly interested in any subject. So from that moment on, I really fell in love with physics. So you you cannot do physics without math. So I start focusing on both math and physics. Yeah. Nice, nice. So what happened after that? Was the rest of your high school career mostly focused on doing a lot of physics then? Yes, yes. I, I did lots of physics. But in order to pass uh, from one grade to another, you have to do, you have to take all the exams. So since I focus on physics and maths, uh, my grades were really terrible. <laughs> But anyways, I managed to pass all the exams. And uh, in Ethiopia, uh, when you finish high school, you have to join the university if you want to pursue a career. There was this exam, Ethiopian School Living Certificate exam. It was really tough at the moment because there were quite few universities at the time. So I, I studied really hard, to be honest, to pass this exam and join university. And luckily, I passed and I joined Addis Ababa University, which was the best. So that was more or less the beginning before my university life. Nice. Yeah. And so I was a little bit curious about the process because it sounds like you get assigned to a university in Ethiopia and you really wanted to go to Addis Ababa and it ended up happening, but that was kind of out of your control, it sounds like. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Because in Ethiopia, your grades do not matter. So the government will assign you to any university you are going to attend. So like, you really need to be lucky to go to the university of your choice. So I was lucky to go to Addis Ababa University. It was like eight kilometers from my home. So it was very, very comfortable for me to go back and forth. So I stay at home. I don't need to stay in the university dormitory. So it was really nice opportunity, to be honest. Yeah, I'm really glad that ended up working out so well. And then it sounded like once you got to university, you had an interesting process for choosing your major as well. And maybe geology wasn't your first choice, perhaps? (laughs) No, it wasn't. It was my ninth choice because... Uh, what happened was that uh, when I joined the university, I was really excited because I didn't have any experience. None of my family members went to university, so I didn't know what it felt like. But I had this idea, this imagination that university would be really interesting and really great. Of course it is, but you don't have a freedom. It's more or less like a high school. So you attend a class, you take exam, and then you pass to the next grade. 
which I didn't like it. So I, I had a really rough time, especially fresh, during freshman. But uh, unfortunately, what happens in freshman determines the rest of your career in the university. So my grades were really terrible. And at the end of uh, freshman, I had to choose a department, a major, but uh, my grades were really bad. So I had to get geology, which was my ninth choice at the time. How many, how many was that out of? Was it like your ninth choice out of 10 or? No, uh, I think around 15 or something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, what were the, what were the majors that you had higher up? Were they also science majors? I know you were kind of at that point. No, at, uh, at that point, we all want to go to engineering, like civil engineering or electrical engineering. So this, there was a high competition because all the smart students want to be engineers. Right? So there was no room for us. <laughs> so I have to get geology at the time. I don't think anybody liked to go to geology because we hear this, uh, this uh, information that geologists usually, there are so many cliches. <laughs> I, I, some of them happens to be true, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Once I joined geology, I fall in love with it, but not all parts of geology, only some part of geology, so yeah. Yeah, I'll ask more about that in a second, but I am kind of curious what cliches people had in their mind, you know, what perceptions they had of geology. Yeah, because uh, our seniors, most of them couldn't be able to get jobs, so they couldn't be able to afford uh, rent or something. So it was really tough for them. There are only few opportunities for geologists at the time. Now the situation is changed. So if you are a geologist, you're sure you will get a very nice job. So at least you can survive. But at that, at that time, when I was a student, uh, the story was quite different. So because of this reason, few people like to join geology. Oh, interesting. So students in Ethiopia are assigned to both their university and their major once they're in school. And it sounds like Amaha didn't really start out wanting to be a geologist. Yeah, that's right. He actually got excited about geology after he was assigned to it during his studies in undergrad. But actually, that wasn't the last time that chance played a big role in his career. Things get even more interesting when Amaha applies to get his master's degree. I really like plate tectonics, the general idea of plate tectonics. And also, I, I liked uh, seismology. So I mostly I spend my time studying books that talk about plate tectonics, how they theory started and uh, what we know about plate tectonics, what we don't know, what we imagine and stuff like this was really, really inspiring for me. So I wanted to read about geology and plate tectonics and also wanted to contribute something to the science. So that was the interesting part. But the rest, uh, I was not that much uh, interested, to be honest. It sounds like after that, you were already interested in going to graduate school? Yes. While I was an undergrad student, I, I wanted to join this uh, observatory. There is a, a nice observatory in our campus, which is called Geophysical Observatory. The name is now changed to very long name. I don't remember exactly, but it was called Geophysical Observatory. So I, I really wanted to join this uh, this institute, but my grades were really terrible, so they didn't allow me to join. So they allow me to visit the place, 
but they couldn't hire me as a graduate assistant. So in fact, uh, they told me to come back after some time with probably master's degree, and then they will see what they can do about my application. So that was my, my goal when I did my master's thesis. And that sounds like it was quite an interesting process. There was some some chance, I think, that happened with that. Do you want to talk about the process of getting your master's degree? After uh, getting my degree, my bachelor, so I could, there was no chance for me to stay in academia. So I went out, I applied for position in industry. I found a nice place in a road construction company and I worked there for 11 months. Then I moved to Geological Survey of Ethiopia. So I stayed there for four years. It was really exciting place because we had so so much freedom to do whatever, basically whatever we we want to do. We have to go to the field and uh, prepare a report and then do our own research. So I took that opportunity and joined Addis Ababa University again for my master's after working for Geological Survey for two years. So that was the beginning of a new career, master's degree. But again, in the beginning, I forgot to mention that I am really afraid of exam. So... When I returned back for my master's, I was the only student. There was exams, so I failed most of the exams. I'm not failed, but I had so many C's for the exams. <laughs> so, but the master's thesis work was really exciting. So I did a paleomagnetic survey in the main Ethiopian rift, on the northern Afar rift with Tesfaye Kidani, and uh, it was quite a success. So apparently, uh, we waited for a couple of years to publish this data. And in 2013, we published the data. And it was quite a, a successful master's thesis work, I, uh, I, I believe. But the, the way I chose this particular subject for my master's was really interesting. Because in the beginning, my uh, initial plan was to attend hydrogeology master's course because when I was in geological survey I used to work in hydrogeology projects so it made sense to join hydrogeology but uh, the university registrar lost my document so I went to the head of the department to complain about my about this stuff and he suggested so we, co we couldn't find your, your application. So you have to either join paleontology or structural geology. So I decided structural geology. So after a couple of days, just before the entrance exam, they found my document and they asked me to sit for hydrogeology exam, but I already made up my mind. So <laughs> I joined structural geology as the only student in the stream. Wow, that is, seems like such a huge shift in topic. How did you kind of cope with that? When I was in undergrad, I used to read lots of plate tectonics books. So I didn't believe structural geology would be quite difficult for me to catch up with. So uh, I didn't mind to join structural geology for that mere reason. Yeah, wow. Have, that's a good idea. I would feel like I would be so frustrated, especially when they found your application materials just right before the entrance. Yeah, I, there were so many dilemmas, but uh, finally I decided to go with my gut. <laughs> I, I am really happy that I did. That's awesome. I'm glad that that ended up working out. And then it sounds like you had some interesting field research in your master's program, too. It sounded like there was a lot of sort of strenuous <laughs> field research. Yeah, because uh, I want to do on paleomagnetism. So 
we decided to go to Afar and collect samples. So Afar is extremely hot and in addition, drilling, uh, paleomag drilling is really a tough job. So it was a whole new experience for me to combine. The environment was really tough and even the, the field work was really tough. But uh, when I come back to the laboratory, then I noticed that the field work and the environment were not as, as much as that tough enough because in the office it's extremely uh, tiresome because you have to demagnetize the samples, you have to do so many laboratory works to find few parameters, which sounds really easy for the reader, but uh, you have to pass through all these processes to come up with those few numbers and the interpretation was really exciting. So yeah, it was really interesting moment for me. That's great. How did you keep your motivation up through all of these challenges? Because it sounds like, you know, it was difficult to get into the graduate program. And then it sounds like maybe there were some difficulties, you know, after you got back from the field work. Um, yeah. How did you stay motivated? I, I grew up alone and I am the only child to my parents. So I didn't have much experience with people. So whenever I, I faced some challenges and whenever there were, there were some difficulties, but it doesn't involve people, as long as it doesn't involve people, I think I can do it. That's what I used to tell to myself, because if it doesn't involve people, then I'm ready to challenge myself. So that was the motivation I have. Still now, I, I, I really have that motivation to conduct research. I like to collaborate with people, but as long as there is something I have to do by myself, then I'm ready to do it, even if it's really tough. It's so wild that Amaha's whole path was changed by an admissions mistake and so late in his career. I know. I just like, how did it turn out? What's his research focus on now that he's a professor? The work that he's doing now actually started with research that he did in his PhD. Um, today, he's studying things that are happening on the surface of the African crust, things like erosion and the deposition of sediments and the ways those things are changing the movement of the plates along the Ethiopian rift. So after finishing my my master's study, uh, I tried to apply for a PhD because I was really motivated by master's thesis result and it was nice. So I really didn't want to return back to industry because I enjoyed the freedom in academia. So when I was doing my master's thesis, it was really exciting. So I don't want to go back to industry. So I started applying for a PhD position. In mid-2010, I received this call from uh, Sapienza University, University of Rome. Uh, this, the call was for international students. So I applied for, for this uh, fellowship and there were two spots. So we, there were so many applicants and they shortlisted nine people. So they took the first two. I was in third position and the first one didn't want to take the offer. So they offered me this, uh, this PhD scholarship. So at the end of 2010, I moved to Sapienza and began an exciting career as a PhD student. In the first year of my PhD, uh, Carlo, my advisor, introduced me to a very influential person in the tectonics of, or understanding the tectonics of the main Ethiopian rift. 
His name is Giacomo Corti. So I used to make a frequent travel to Florence. He's in Florence. He's at the National Research Council of Italy. So I used to make a frequent travel to him to understand uh, some of the aspects of the main Ethiopian rift. So he supported me in many ways to to finish my PhD. Yeah. So it was quite tough, to be honest. It was f- enjoyable. Uh, at the same time, it was really tough. Yeah, I bet. It's, it's great that you were able to find that sort of mentorship, even if you did have to travel a little bit for that. If you were to summarize sort of your PhD work in a couple of sentences, what would you say is the main finding? So the main finding was that I summarize it this way. We found something really interesting when we combine several observations, like from field geology, from earthquake focal mechanism, and from GPS data. So when we combine these three, what we see is quite a little bit different from what you see when you really focus on one aspect of one aspect of these components. So that was the main finding to us. So we managed to explain what's happening in the main Ethiopian rift. Although there are so many local variations, but in general, the deformation in the main Ethiopian rift is influenced by Nubia plate and Somalia plate, and their motion really contributes to what we see today in the rift. But there are also so many variations. That's what I understood uh, after a couple of years. And that you've continued to study the Ethiopian rift in your work as a professor, correct? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. So uh, now I use a numerical model because that's a new addition to my, to my CV. So I start using numerical modeling to investigate what's happening in there. So we have some inputs from earthquake data and GPS data. And uh, now we have a new method, which is really exciting and elegant numerical modeling results. So we combine everything. That's great. Uh, What kind of things are you working on next? Do you have a project on the horizon that you're really excited about? Yes, yeah. So at the moment, I'm working on uh, to understand the contribution of surface processes because in the previous models, we focus mainly on the magma that's coming out of the deep part of the Earth controls what we see today. So the surface tectonics is mainly driven by magma input. But now we see that there are so many surface processes which contribute to the tectonics, the style of deformation. So a lot of scientists focus on this kind of surface processes. So here in GFZ at German Research Center for Geosciences, I focus on the role of surface processes on the tectonics of the main Ethiopian rift. So we already, we have some data, it's really exciting. So we have to dig a little deeper, but uh, it's, so far it's really exciting. That sounds really fascinating. Just to make sure um, the listeners understand, what kind of surface processes are you talking about when you're looking at those things? Uh, good question. So when, when we say surface processes, we are talking about erosions and sedimentations. So materials are eroded and they have to be deposited at some point. So we try to see how this erosion, variation in erosion and deposition rates control the deformation, the style of deformation uh, in the main Ethiopian rift. do you 
think, I mean, obviously we want to understand what's happening in the Ethiopian Rift just because it's good to understand. But do you think there's any sort of applications to a better understanding of that that people might see in Ethiopia? Yes, because the more we understand uh, the rift, the better for resource explorations. So in addition to my work to in addition to my work related with the tectonics of the main Ethiopian rift, I advise many students working on uh, geothermal resource exploration. So we use geophysical data. We use satellite remote sensing data to pinpoint where geothermal resources are localized. And then we try to understand through modeling where these points are really uh, located. So this is a very nice contribution to understand the resource resource exploration in the rift. That's really exciting. Is there a lot of geothermal power currently being used in Ethiopia? Not really, but we have a huge resource. So we are uh, in the beginning of exploration states. So we have so many potentially usable sites for geothermal resources, but the energy production is really in the early stage. That's exciting then. That'll be such a great resource going forward. I've heard a lot of really exciting things about geothermal energy. And I know you mentioned at the end of the paper that you wrote that you have a really strong focus on mentorship of future generations of scientists. Do you have anything you want to share about that? Yes. Yeah. So since 2020, we published about 12 papers. And most of these papers are written by either master or PhD students, I advise or co-advise or uh, examine their thesis. So I really focus on helping uh, junior scientists because I benefited a lot from working with really smart and kind scientists. So I have to contribute something to the next generation of scientists. I believe we're, we have to contribute really something to the young generation because uh, they have to be well trained there's a future of the continent and the future of ethiopia so i really believe that so that i focus on helping students to to develop their career what kind of vision do you have what do you hope that ethiopian science will look like in the future as far as like what kinds of research projects get funded and things like that so if you see in the beginning almost all papers, I don't have a clear statistical data to suggest this, but based on my observation, almost all papers are co-written by scientists either from the US or from Europe. But now many scientists are well equipped, many Ethiopian scientists are well equipped, so they advise their own students. And if you see papers, mostly uh, most of the papers are written by Ethiopian scientists alone. But this doesn't mean there is no contribution from uh, scientists is from US or UK, I mean UK and also from other European countries because we trained in these institutions, we have so many colleagues and they empower us so we have, we can, we have a chance to empower our fellow Ethiopians. So in the future I think most of the papers will be written by Ethiopian scientists and they will spend a lot of time in exploring their own resources. So I, I really see a bright future ahead of us. But this doesn't mean that we have to collaborate with European scientists because, or uh, scientists from the US, because now funding agencies have designed this kind of projects which really focus on Africa. 
and that's a huge deal for us. So far, I benefited from three of such uh, research fundings. So one, ex uh, one is from Canon Foundation. There is what we call Canon Foundation. It's Japan-Africa Research Collaboration. And the other one is uh, Oxford-Africa Research Collaboration. And the one I am now uh, received is Alexander von Humboldt grant, but uh, there is a subunit of this grant, which is called Björk Forster Research Fellowship. And this is designed for, for students or from, uh, for scientists from third world countries. So we benefited a lot for, from this kind of, uh, from this kind of uh, research funding. So I suggest for my uh, fellow Ethiopian scientists or African scientists is to focus on these specific grants because you can get a lot of money for research, so you can travel and empower yourself. Okay, Shane, I'm going to stop you before you try to make any witty quips, and we should just let Amaha's words speak for themselves. Okay, all right, that is totally fair. So with that, that's all from Third Pod from the Sun. Thanks so much to Sarah for bringing us this story and to Amaha for sharing his work with us. This episode was produced by Sarah with audio engineering from Colin Warren and art by Jay Steiner. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Please rate and review the podcast and you can find new episodes in your favorite podcasting app or at thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks all and we'll see you next week. When you're ready. Okay, Shane, I'm going to stop you before you try to make any witting quip. <laughs> witting? witting? What witty. is a witting? Oh, God, witty. I can't talk.